Radio Rounds, the podcast series from St. Louis Children's Hospital. Here's Melanie Cole. Syncope is a transient loss of consciousness and muscle tone, and it's important to understand the difference between cardiac and non-cardiac causes of syncope. My guest today is Dr. Arthi Dalal. She's a Washington University pediatric cardiologist at St. Louis Children's Hospital. Welcome to the show, Dr. Dalal. What is syncope? Um, hi, Melanie. Thank you for having me. Um, I think you did a great definition. So syncope really is the transient loss of consciousness and postural tone with spontaneous recovery. Um, people typically describe it as fainting or passing out. And it's associated with a temporary hyperperfusion or insufficient blood flow to the brain. Um, and I think what we do know is that syncope is quite common. It's reported in up to one-third of the population, and it accounts for a significant number of both pediatric and adult uh, emergency room visits. Do we know what the most common causes are? There are lots of causes of syncope. Um, I think, um, number one, it's most important to remember that syncope actually is a symptom, and it's not a disease. So when you understand that, then you can start thinking about the different causes. So syncope can be something as benign as um, just passing out because, for example, we were standing upright for too long in a hot room or, you know, we didn't have enough to eat. Maybe our blood sugar is a little bit low. But there can also be pretty significant and serious causes of syncope, and those are the cardiac causes and the things that I really like to stress today. So before we even get to those cardiac causes, something like orthostatic hypotension, something that even adults and children can experience... For a parent, this has got to be a really scary thing when a child experiences syncope. Is it something that requires emergent medical care? Great question. I think you sort of hit the nail on the head, which is syncope is scary, right? It's scary for the patient, but even scarier for the family member or the parent that is watching their child sort of fall to the ground. Um, So I think the first thing to understand is that common faint or the vasovagal syncope, which you identified, is something that is not life-threatening. It can be, again, scary for the family and the patient, and a patient might get hurt if they sort of fall and hit their head. But that, but the faint itself or the that syncopal episode is not life-threatening. And I think it's important to understand how those patients might present. So, for example, a common, the common sort of benign faint um, usually presents with a prodrome. So, for example, they might have dizziness or nausea or some vision changes before they pass out or these patients give a really good history of just not feeling well before they've passed out. And typically, these events occur at rest or positional. And they give a great history of, you know, I was standing in a hot room. For example, I was at church, and I just felt really faint and then passed out. Or I saw blood, and I passed out. And in those situations, those are not, those are not examples where I would recommend they rush their child to the emergency room. So those pre-syncopal sensations, and if they just simply faint, but they were able to voice the reasons, the hot room, the blood, those are not quite that emergent. But if it just happens, when is it emergent? Again, very good question. So the, the times that I get concerned about syncope is when they lack a prodrome, meaning it just happens all of a sudden, or the events are triggered by either exertional stress or emotional stress, for example, if they were exercising and during exercise they passed out, or they remember sort of being very anxious or angry and they pass out, or if it's associated with other cardiac concerns or, or symptoms, for example, palpitations, those are, those are situations that would make me worry. 
So if a pediatrician sees a child in their office, what would you like them to do as their initial assessment? I think the first thing to understand about a syncopal event is, one, the, sort of the, the situation in which it occurred. So understanding the state of the activity of the patient. Were they at rest? Um, did they move from a seated position to a standing position? Were they standing for a long time? Or did it happen during activity? So for example, if a patient was running and they said, I was running a peak exercise and I just passed out. Or if they give a history where the patient says, you know, I have this seizure history that is not just not controlled with my medication and I pass out every time I get really angry or any time I'm really anxious. Those are stories that I would I, that I would want that patient, you know, refer to me. And then another big thing is family history. So asking those right questions. Family history can be so telling um, in a patient. So if they ask the questions about family history and they get a, a family member that has died suddenly um, at a young age, age less than 50, or if there was a family history of a drowning or near-drowning event, or a single vehicle car accident, or a family member that has seizures that, you know, again, is unexplained, um, or a family member that has a pacemaker or a defibrillator, or a family member that was born deaf. All of those things, sort of, when you piece them together, may indicate that the syncope is not just, again, your benign faint, but may be indicative of something more serious. And again, a cardiac cause of syncope. So to actually pinpoint the cause, and as a pediatric cardiologist, then what is it that you would do kind of next as far as the diagnosis? So when we see a patient or when a patient has been referred to me for syncope, um, I do, I ask all of these questions. So the first thing I really try to understand is what was the patient doing when they had a syncopal event? And then the second thing I do, again, is I always ask a really detailed family history. And after I get that information, I can do additional testing. And that might be something like an electrocardiogram or an EKG or a, and an echocardiogram. So those things allow me to get a, a good picture of both the structure and the function of the heart and also the baseline rhythm. Um, if this happened during exercise, I might also have the patient do an exercise stress test so I can see what their rhythm is doing during exercise. What about a Holter monitor? Is that ever required? A Holter monitor and or an event monitor are both great, um, are both great tests as well. So essentially what a Holter monitor allows me to do is I can see what the patient's rhythm is doing for a full 24 hours. An event monitor is a little bit different in which the patient wears the monitor for an extended period of time, and if they have events that don't occur every day, they can sort of push the button when they have an event, which allows me to correlate a rhythm with their symptom. And that would help you rule out something else like a seizure disorder. Exactly. So what, what these tests really allow me to do is to make sure that there isn't a cardiac cause. Because although, you know, I, when we talk about it, it may seem that this is very black and white. A lot of times it's very gray and you don't exactly have the best history and you're not exactly sure the situation in which the thing could be occurred. So these tests allow me to help, you know, to, to rule out dangerous causes of syncope, to make sure there, it isn't an, um, an arrhythmia or, again, a cardiac-related cause. And then what do you do for the child, and what do you say to the parents to reassure them and give them some hope about this? Sure. So I think the first thing is, if it is benign syncope, which most often it is, the important thing for the family to realize is it will get better. And using, doing things like increasing fluid intake, specifically water and non-caffeinated beverages, is actually very helpful. And then adding salt to the diet, or sometimes we can prescribe medications. But if it is benign syncope, that will get better. 
if it is something that um, I am more concerned about, we do have a lot of treatment options, and usually that requires medications, sometimes, you know, different devices. But the important thing is, is getting the patients and the family diagnosed. And then we have, at St. Louis Children's, we have a really good team that can help support the family and make sure that they are getting the appropriate care. And Dr. Dalal, what do you do if you figure out that it's a psychogenic syncope? If it's something maybe in an adolescent or something that's happening in terms of emotional stress or times of anxiety, then what do you tell the parents? So I think that's that's a great question because it actually is a large portion of the patients that I see that, that are referred to me. And, you know, psycho, psychosomatic or psychogenic causes of syncope are quite common. And I think it's important that the family realizes, number one, that it is real to the patient. So sort of trying to, make, trying to sort of make the patient feel like this isn't real is not the way to go, but helping them understand that sometimes under, finding out the reason or the root cause of the anxiety or whatever the stress is that's causing them to have the sink beat, number one, is important. And then, two, making sure we offer support in that way. So that in, can include referring the patient to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and sometimes even starting anti-anxiety or anti-depression medications. And when would you like a pediatrician to refer to a pediatric cardiologist? So I think I would love if um, a pediatrician would refer the, the patient to me when they start hearing these sort of these red these red flags. So when they get a history where there's a minimal prodrome or the patient has recurrent syncope, anytime you have recurrent syncope, I think it's warranted to ask more questions or get more help. And I'm happy to see those patients. Or if, again, the triggers are related to exercise or emotion, or there, again, there's a family history. And that, those, those are really big things. And obviously, if anybody ever required any significant intervention, like they needed CPR, please send those patients to me. And tell us about your team. Why is St. Louis Children's Hospital so great to work with? Well, here at St. Louis Children's, we have a huge number of cardiologists, but also within our group, there are three of us that are dedicated to rhythm disturbances, or we have an electrophysiology team of three uh, cardiologists and a nurse practitioner that is sort of focused on inherited arrhythmias and sort of conduction disorders. But again, within our group, there are, we have lots of cardiologists who are dedicated to children who have these, these um, concerns. And I think we work really well as a team, and we're supported by a multidisciplinary team as well, where if you end up coming and you are diagnosed with an inherited arrhythmia, we work with both a psychologist and a genetic counselor that makes sure that this, not only the patient, but the family is well supported. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Dalal. Dr. Arthi Dalal sees patients at both St. Louis Children's Hospital off Kings Highway in the Central West End and St. Louis Children's Hospital Specialty Care Center in West St. Louis County. A physician can refer a patient by calling Children's Direct Physician Access Line at 1-800-678-HELP. That's 1-800-678-4357. You're listening to Radio Rounds with St. Louis Children's Hospital, and for more information on resources available at St. Louis Children's Hospital, you can go to stlouischildrens.org. That's stlouischildrens.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.